it's hard enough for you to see me anyway without obstacles. If you brought a Bible or, or, or it's on your phone or your tablet, we used to just say, would you open up your Bibles, but can't do that anymore. Our technology is everywhere. Turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Kings, First Kings. Chapter 20. And he's going to try to get a little PowerPoint thing up there for us. We're, we're going to see if technology will work. Sometimes it's our friend and sometimes not. Oh, it's there. Now, it's going to get better. You can't see that scripture up there because every church's projectors are different so some some you can but it's first kings chapter 20 and we're going to begin reading with verse 35 all right and so when you found that would would you stand with me please out of reverence for the word of god by the word of the lord one of the sons of the prophets said to his companion, Strike me with your weapon. But the man refused. So the prophet said, Because you have not obeyed the Lord, as soon as you leave me, a lion will kill you. And after the man went away, a lion found him and killed him. The prophet found another man and said, Strike me, please. So the man struck him and wounded him. Then the prophet went and stood by the road waiting for the king. He disguised himself with his headband down over his eyes. As the king passed by, the prophet called out to him, Your servant went into the thick of the battle, and someone came to me with a captive and said, Guard this man. If he's missing, it will be your life for his life, or you must pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. That is your sentence, the king of Israel said. You have pronounced it yourself. You may be seated. I, I want to take for a text tonight that 40th verse. While your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. Now, th this is a part of a parable that was spoken by a certain prophet to King Ahab. And this prophet was seeking to rebuke the king for his leniency in dealing with Benadad, whom he had overcome in battle. But I, I don't really want to discuss this parable in, in relation to its context. Instead, I want to take it out of its context and I want to bring it into the 21st century and talk about it as how it relates to us. Listen to the story of this man's failure from his own lips. Your servant went into the thick of the battle and someone came to me with a captive and said, Guard this man. If he's missing, it will be your life for his or you must pay a talent of silver. And while your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. Now, let's just imagine... Tonight, that we meet this soldier immediately after he's been put in charge of this very important captive. 
He, he walks with a purposeful stride. He, he, he knows that he's got this important task and, and he's setting about seriously to do it. And he seems to appreciate the honor that's been placed on him. And he also seems to have a sense of the serious responsibilities involved. And when he takes his position before the cell of the prisoner, he watches with all diligence. But when we pass that way again, the very next day, we're greatly shocked. Our soldier is no longer on guard. Another has taken his place, and when we look about for the important prisoner that has been captured at the price of blood and conflict, he is no longer to be seen. And when we ask about him, we are told that he escaped. And in his place, bowed down with shame and dressed in chains, is the man who only yesterday was his guardsman. And of course, we cannot pass this man without asking a question. How in the world did this come about? Were you surprised and overcome? Did your fellow soldiers allow a strong company to break through their lines and overpower you and take you prisoner? Did, did a strong hand strike you down from behind in the dark? What happened? And the man, without being able to look us in the eye, answers, No, I, he did not escape because I was overpowered. He, he didn't escape because I was surprised. He escaped because I was too busy to watch him. Too busy... We respond in amazement. Too busy doing what? What task did you find more important than saving your country and saving your home and saving your honor? Oh, no, no task in particular. He says, I, I was just busy here and there. I mean, that's his confession. As your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the man is sentenced to death, and we have to admit that the sentence is just. It's not that he's committed some aggressive crime. He hasn't cut anybody's throat. He hasn't stabbed anybody in the back. He hasn't stolen anything. You see, he's not punished for what he's done. He's being punished for what he failed to do. And those of us who, who are in the church and have been... For many, many years, we need to remember that that kind of sin is just as dangerous and just as damning as aggressive sin. How foolish we are to think that we are pious simply because we do no wrong. How absurd to get it into your mind that any man or woman is a Christian by virtue of what he does not do instead of by virtue of what he or she does. Now, I know, and you do too, that there are certain sins that are damaging and damning. But you see, in order to be lost now and forevermore, all you have to do is do what this man did. And that is just fail in your responsibility. I mean, Jesus emphasized this over and over again. What, what was wrong with the fig tree that he cursed it? It wasn't loaded with poison. It simply had nothing but leaves. What charge is brought about to Rich Divey's? No charge at all. We're simply made to see him neglect the man at his gate who needed his help. He doesn't drive him away. He simply lets him alone. 
And over the neglected responsibility, he stumbled out into a Christless eternity. And what was wrong with those five foolish virgins? It was not the fact that they had water in their lamps. It was simply the fact that they had no oil, and oil was what was required. So this man failed in his responsibility. You see, that's what wrecked him. Now, why did he fail? Well, I think there are several reasons. In the first place, he did not fail because of ignorance. He understood perfectly what he was to do. He he knew the great importance of doing it. He knew that it was life and death business. I know he failed, and he failed miserably. He failed to his own ruin, but it was not because of his ignorance. And see, if you and I are failing in certain areas in our spiritual life, it's not because of ignorance. We all need to know more, but, but, but our greatest need in the moral realm is not for more knowledge. Our greatest need, I mean, if you really think about it, I think you will admit to me, the greatest need that I have, and I think it's probably the greatest need you have, is really not for more knowledge. It's the courage to live up to what I already know to do. We know enough to do certain things. The reason we're selfish, the reason we are ungodly, maybe in some areas of our life, the reason we are unclean is not because we don't know any better. We've known better all across the years. It's because we're unwilling to do better. And there's not a man or woman under the sound of my voice tonight that does not know enough to fulfill your responsibility. Now, you you may not know the exact niche that the Lord wants you to fill, and it may and it may be that that you don't know the exact task yet that He's calling you to. But you, but you do know this: you know the absolute difference between right and wrong, and you know that you ought to be on the side of right. You know that it's your part to help and not to hinder, to bless and not to curse. To lift up and not to drag down. And while you may not yet know your particular task, it's your privilege to know even that. I'm I'm confident that God has a particular task at every stage of our life. I mean, yes, even when we're old. Uh, Some years ago, I saw a little plaque on on a parsonage refrigerator and it said, You can tell when you get middle-aged and older because you hear snap, crackle, and pop when you're not eating Rice Krispies. (laughs) I am there. But see, I, I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And so do you. The scripture says, In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And see, we, we, we've developed a, a kind of a concept of, uh, of retirement in, in the church that I, I really can't find a biblical basis for. Now, when, when I talk about that, I don't mean that there doesn't come a certain stage in our life when we lay out some responsibility. But I just really believe that at every stage of our life, no matter what our physical condition, there is something within the kingdom of God that we can be doing that makes a difference in where things are. And what's going on. And and I realize you can't do when you're 70 and 80 and 90 what maybe you used to do when you were 25. But there's so many things that you can do. I'm convinced, folks, that the the enemy has pulled a real real boner on us and and talked to us senior adults. See, I can talk to you like this because I am one. 
and just develop this our uh, this attitude of, of retirement. It reminds me of something um, that one of our evangelists said. He said, "You know, he said I I I've been in churches all over the country, and and I've been from the basement to the belfry." He said, "I know we have jails because people keep saying to me, I've served my time." <laughs> But he said, I can't seem to find them. So I know we're incarcerating them somewhere, but, but you know, he said, I haven't seen these jails. And, and yet people keep saying to me, well, I've served my time. He said, it's time for the younger generation. I'm convinced. I mean, I love the Joshua's. Okay, I, I love the young people. But I want to tell you, I believe with all of my heart, especially in this wicked day, a certain segment of the battle will only be won by the Caleb's. And God is looking for some Caleb's. He's looking for some of Gideon's 300. <laughs> and I want to be a Caleb. I mean, that's, his life is just a fascinating thing to study, you know? When they get ready to go into the promised land the second time, he's saying to Joshua, I, I was, I'm, I'm, I've lived 45 years since, since I wanted to go into the promised land. I'm 85 years old, but I'm as willing to do battle today as I was in the day when Moses said, let, let, let's go in. Now, give me the hill country where the giants are. Let's translate that down. Give me the toughest piece of real estate you got. Perhaps the Lord will drive them out before me. And did the Lord disappoint him? No. And folks, I'm telling you, I love the young people, but, but do you realize they don't really understand what you mean when you talk about prayer and fasting and praying through? They don't even know what that means. To stay with it until you break through the powers of darkness. Until God gives you the answer and you know that you know that you know in your heart you've heard from God. And it doesn't matter about the circumstances. He's going to change the things as they appear to be, but what he's going to bring them. I mean, I mean, he's the God who brings things that don't exist yet into existence. And we've just lost that dimension in the church. And, and, and prayer and fasting has become a lost art. I mean, I can just look at our waistline and tell that. I mean, if we have a prayer time, it'll be a prayer breakfast. <laughs> you know? And, and see, the, the second thing I want you to notice here is that he did not fail because of lack of ability. If he could have said that he was overpowered, if, if he could have said that superior numbers came in on him and took his prisoner, I mean, we would have respected him. We would have, we would have sympathized with him. But, but he had no scars to show. He made no fight at all. And so he could not say, I couldn't help it. And neither can you and I. Nobody in this church tonight is failing because of a lack of ability. Now, I don't mean when I say that, that you can do anything you want to do. When I was a kid growing up in school, we had we used to have assemblies back then, and people would come and tell us that. You can do anything you want to do. It's not the truth. I am never going to be a Michelangelo. If you just see my drawings, you'll understand that. Our son, Andre, used to come to me and he'd say, Dad, draw me a cat. 
Well, a cat is two circles in a tail and two pointy ears. And he'd say, no, Dad, I mean a real cat. I'd say, go talk to your mother. She's the artist in the family. No, I, I, I can't do anything I want to do. But I can do something infinitely better. I can do the thing that God has called me to do by His grace. And, and you know, I'm glad that we don't all have the same aptitudes. And that we don't even, we don't even all like the same things. It's like a conversation that I heard about a couple of guys. And one of them was talking to another man about a certain man's wife. And he said, you know, if everybody looked at her like I do, nobody would want her. And the man said, well, I'm glad that everybody doesn't see it like I did because I, I, I'm glad I want my wife. See, it's just a good thing. We don't all see exactly alike. But, but see, everybody, see, the grace of God has the ability to perform whatever it is that God calls you to do. And then I want you, and I especially want you to notice this. He did not fail because of idleness. He didn't fail because he was lazy. Now, idleness will wreck anybody. Laziness is a deadly sin that we have to overcome. But, but this man was not lazy. I mean, he was a worker. He failed, but he didn't fail because he refused to put his hand or, or, or to any task or bend his back under any load. Why did he fail then? Well, not from ignorance and not from inability and not from idleness. He was busy. I mean, that's what he said about himself and nobody denies it. While your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. He was busy, you see, but he was not busy about his own task. He was simply busy here and there. He was one of those unfortunate souls that has so much to do and so many things to do, so many places to go, so many engagements to keep, so many functions to attend, so many burdens to carry, that he can't carry out his own responsibility. Do you know anybody like that? Did you keep your prisoner, I asked. No, he said, I was too busy. Busy at what in heaven's name? Do you know anything more important than obeying the orders of your king? Do, do you know anything more important than helping to save your nation? Do you know anything more important than saving your own life when your own honor and your own soul? Oh, you see, it, it's easy to see his trouble. He allowed the secondary to so absorb him that he neglected the primary. Now, let's be fair. Those things that he was working at here and there, those unnamed tasks that he was performing, there's no hint that they were vicious things. I'm sure they were altogether harmless. They might have even have been useful. But you see, the, the trouble with the good was is that it robbed him of the privilege of doing the very best. Now, I'm, I'm not really worried about you folk going out and committing some horrendous crime. I mean, I, I realize it's possible, but what I worry about you is, and what I worry about myself is, that we'll get so absorbed in the secondary that we can't do what's really supreme and of value and has eternal destiny value. I mean, we Americans are so blessed. We have so many opportunities. We have so many options. I'm not talking about good and evil. I mean, I made up my mind about that when I became a Christian. 
My tough choices are not between good and evil. My tough choices are between good and the very best. And you see, why did he fail? While your servant was busy here and there. See, it's easy to see his trouble. But the trouble, again, I say, with, with, with the good was that it robbed him of the best. The, the sin that I fear for you and me is the sin of this man. And many of us are engaged in a great stressful straining of trivialities. Some of these are not necessarily harmful, but the problem is that we get so absorbed in them that we don't have any time left for the highest and the best and the most important. Thirty years ago, futures peering into when their crystal balls predicted that one of the biggest problems for coming generations would be what to do with their abundant spare time. Don't you just want to do a belly laugh about that right now? In 1967, a testimony before Senate subcommittee claimed that by 1985, people could be working just 22 hours a week or 27 weeks a year and could retire at age 38. Exactly when they quit talking like that, I don't know. But they did stop. No one sits around today trying to figure out how to spend free time. On the contrary, the topic of conversation is usually how to get some. Nearly all of us are caught scratching our heads about this mystery of having so little time in an era of so many conveniences and such vaunted efficiency. How can this be? Well, to help bring this mystery to light, let's just examine some of the uniquely contemporary ways that we Americans spend our time. In a lifetime, the average American will spend six months sitting at traffic lights waiting for them to change. Spend one year searching through desk clutter looking for misplaced objects. Spend eight months opening junk mail. Spend two years trying to call people who aren't in or whose line is busy. Spend five years waiting in line. Spend three years in meetings. Learn how to operate 20,000 different things from pop machines to can openers to digital radio controls. In addition, the average person will commute 45 minutes every day, be interrupted 73 times every day. The average manager is interrupted every 8 minutes. Receive 600 advertising messages every day through television, newspaper, magazine, radio, and billboard. Travel now over 1,500 miles every year. Watch 1,700 hours of television every year. Open 600 pieces of mail. What did we do with all our time before we had traffic lights and telephone and busy signals and televisions and interruption and cluttered desks? What did we do with our time before we opened up 43 annual pounds of junk mail? What did teenagers do with their time before they began listening to 10,000 hours of rock music between grade 7 and grade 12? Oh yes, and texting. Is it possible... That we used to use it on things physically taxing instead of mentally frustrating. Is it possible that time margin was used for conversing and for serving and for resting and for praying? Oh, it's true that we get to places faster, but now we have more places to go. A net loss. We have devices to help us clean, but now we have more things stuffed into more square footage to clean. A net loss. 
Oh, but Brother Covington, the light bulb has given us more time now because we can plan activities during the evening that were previously limited to the daylight hour. Yes, the light bulb has given us more capacity to be busy and to produce and to fill up schedules in the evening when before all we could do was sit around the table and read or sit by the fire and read or talk with family members and visit and build relationships. And that loss. See, we Americans are just busy here and there. We go to work six days a week. We're passionately in earnest about amusing ourselves. We do a thousand and one decent and respectable things. But while we're busy here and there, the peace of God slips out of our life. While we're busy here and there, we neglect the Sunday school and the church. While we're busy here and there, we lose our interest in the Word of God. And we forget the secret stairway that leads to the prayer room. Busy here and there, we lose the sense of God. Out of our life. Busy here and there, we allow our sons and daughters to stumble over the ragged edges of our lives of Christless indifference. Busy here and there, our marriages feel the strain and ache for the quality time that it takes to rejuvenate them. You see, there's really only one remedy for us if we're going to avoid the rock on which this condemned guardsman wrecked himself. We have to put first things first. Listen to the wisest man who ever lived. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Mahatma Gandhi, the great reformer of India, made this very simple but profound statement. There is more to life than increasing its speed. This wonderful thing called progress has tricked us into trusting it and then exhausted us. But I just want to tell you tonight, we're not helpless. The clock can be resisted. Time margin can be taken back. Now, let me close tonight with a thought from Richard Swenson, who happens to be a medical doctor. He asked this question. He said, do you think Jesus would have worn a wristwatch. What would have been his reaction if the temple service extended past noon and alarms went off in the crowd? Would he have driven the clock watchers out along with the money changers? What would he have thought of the parishioner I knew who weekly timed the pastor's sermon with a stopwatch and reported the statistics on the way out of the church? Do you think Jesus would have carried a beeper would Martha and Mary have paged him to come and raise Lazarus from the dead? Can you imagine him being paged out of the Last Supper? Folks, I'm here to tell you, the clock and Christ are not close friends. We, we squeeze everything into 60 minutes. We expect God to do everything that he wants to do for us in 60 minutes or less. We, we are so locked into our schedules that we have locked ourselves out of the Sermon on the Mount. It's hardly possible to walk the second mile today without offending somebody's pocket calendar. We jump at the alarm of a Seiko and sleep through the call of the Almighty. Robert J. Cooper, who's a leadership consultant, put it this way. How... How can we ever hope to grasp the deeper possibilities of life and lead invigorated or meaningful days if we're all dashing around nonstop like water bugs on the surface of a swirling river? 
The Apostle Paul admonished us over there in Romans 12 and 2. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect will. But the world does squeeze us into its mold. And see, if you fail to make this change, however noble the task may seem to be that absorbs your time and energy, life for you will end in tragedy. I remember I was down in Georgia a good number of years ago now, and I was preaching a message with a similar theme. And a woman came to the altar that night, along with others, but, but she got up to testify. And she said, Brother come do you, do you know what God talked to me about tonight? And I said, ma'am, I, I have no idea. She said, I'm this coupon queen. She said, I get all the newspapers from Atlanta, and I spread them out, and I cut all the coupons out, and she said, I'll drive halfway across Atlanta to save 15 cents on a can of green beans. And she said, the Lord said to me, I am Jehovah Jireh. I can provide for you. There are far more creative things that you can do with your time than saving 15 cents on a can of green beans. Now, it's not wrong to use good stewardship, but, but sometimes, folks, we just, we're just busy here and there. And I'm not talking about wicked things, but we're just busy here and there. And that keeps us from doing the most supreme thing. And when we stand before God, He isn't going to ask us about the green beans. Or how many cents we saved. And see, if you and I don't understand this, life for us is going to end in tragedy. And if you follow this advice, however small and insignificant your task may seem, life for you is going to end in eternal victory and joy. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And how many of us, if we were really, really honest, would have to say, I'm guilty. Well, Brother Cumberland, I, I, I would read my Bible, but I, I just really don't have time. Folk, we have time to do everything that's really valuable to us. I mean, we all have the same 24 hours. It's just that the enemy of our soul has just gotten us so distracted. And we Americans are so blessed. We have so many options to choose from. It's actually to our spiritual detriment. And I don't know why God asked me to do that. Because here I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the core of the church who comes back on Sunday night. That's who, that's who comes back on Sunday night. But when I was preaching this morning, and that's always a fascinating thing to me, that I can be talking to you and God can talk to me at the same time. It just blows my mind. Folk, more than ever, ever, ever before, we have got to get our priorities straightened out and in the right place. So I want you to stand with me. And um, would you just be so gracious as to slip there to the piano and kind of, kind of prepare something for us. Now, you're getting to know me.
and you know that I have great respect for you and I'm going to violate your integrity and I'm going to twist your arm. But I just wondered tonight while I've been preaching a simple message if God maybe hasn't been talking to some of us about rearranging our priorities and seeking first the kingdom. He promised that all these other things will be added. All the things we really need will be added. And maybe some of us, and I'm talking to the church, maybe some of us just need to come and kind of lay our lives out before the Lord tonight and say, Lord, am I really doing the most important things? I mean, when I stand before you at eternity, do do you ever really think about that? Does it ever occur to you that one day, the Bible says, that out of all the billions of people that have lived or will have lived by the time Jesus comes back again, that a day will come when you and I stand before our Creator and, and give an account. That's just an awesome thought. I don't think a lot of the excuses that we're making are going to hold very much water in that moment when we're looking him in the eye and he's looking at us and the books are opened. And I'm really not trying to send you on a guilt trip tonight. I'm trying to save you embarrassment at the the great white throne judgment. While there's time to do something about the priorities. You say, Brother Cumberland, I'm, I'm X many years old. Oh, yeah, but God wants you. <laughs> he has things for you to do at that age. You can enter. See, well, Brother Cumberland, I can't do the things I used to do. Yeah, but you can pray for people who are young who can do it. And you can do a lot more than you give yourself credit for. When the Spirit empowers you. And so, I, I mean, I'm not sitting in judgment because I don't know you. <laughs> I'm just telling you, this is what God asked me to share with you. While your servant was busy here and there, it was gone. Now, it's going to take some courage. So, let's pray for one another. Would you just bow your heads with me, Lord? You're the only one who could possibly know why you wanted your servant to share this message with this body of believers. They're they're your children. They're your sons and daughters. But you're looking at our lives and you see where we give our priorities and you know where we spend our time and where we spend our money. And we can pay lip service to your kingdom. And I'm reminded in your word what you said to the prophet Ezekiel. These people come to me with their lips, but their hearts are really far from me. You say, oh, Brother Covington, how can you judge that? Well... Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. 
So, Lord, I just pray that you would, you would help us to get honest because we're going to really need to do that so we won't be deceived. And I just pray that you would turn the searchlight of your love on our hearts because, because it's so crucial. If we're going to redeem this nation, the people called Christians are going to have to turn from their wicked ways and we're all going to have to get our priorities straightened out. And so maybe you just need to call some of us and maybe we just need to take some time tonight to just come and seek your face and and lay our lives out before you and say, Lord, what do you really want me to do with my time and energy and the resources that you've given to me? And you're the only one who has a right to do this. And I pray that you won't leave this evangelist out either. Because I'm going to be there. And I'm going to stand before you. I'm not going to be responsible for anybody else's life in that moment. Just just what I did with mine. And so if we we just need to come and talk to you about that, would, would you just give us the courage tonight? I mean, that's what these days are for. We're, we're setting aside these special services so that we can remember that we're creatures built for two worlds and we can't afford to live for just one. So have your way in our heart and our life. These altars open and, and I wonder while she's just playing softly. If somebody would say, Brother Cumberton, God, God spoke to me. He said, well, Brother Cumberton, I, I mean, I came to the altar. Well, we're not counting. We're, if God has put his finger on something in your life other than what you prayed for this morning, let's just, let's just get into his presence and let him do work. And so I wonder, would, would you have the courage to just Open up your heart. If he put his finger on something, I'm, and I'm not going to tarry long. God bless you, lady. in the quietness of the moment and, and if you can't kneel it's okay just just come and be seated on the front seat just perfectly in order you see brother coming in could, could I make that decision standing there of course you could <laughs> and some will but is there value in, in responding openly yes and see, when you respond, it gives courage to others to also respond. And we're just going to wait a few moments. I just want to give you time. I won't tarry long. 
If I did that, I'd grieve you. And if I did that, I'd grieve the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to do that. We've just set this time aside to really think about eternal things. And we need that, folks. I mean, the world squeezes me. It pressures me just like it pressures you. And I made this offer to you this morning, but but I'll make it again. If it would help you to come, if God's encouraging, but it just seems too hard, just, just bring somebody with you. Just tap them on the arm and say, would you go with me? Thank you for being a gracious audience. There may be somebody kneeling here that you would just like to give, or sitting on the front seat you'd like to give some encouragement to. And if you'd like to help us pray, that would be great. Would you just gather in? And I hope some of you will. If you need to go because of the lateness of the hour, I want you to feel free to do that. Otherwise, if you'd like to stay and help us, would you would you just be seated there where you are, so you can be comfortable. Lord, we're we're just trying to do the most important things. It's why we've set these few days aside. Because we know we need help from you to really see what the most important thing is. And we have an adversary who does his best to confuse us about what it might be. But here are your servants. And we're just we're just laying the activities of our lives out in, in front of you and saying, Now Lord, at this stage of my life, with circumstances being what they are, what do you want from me? How can I advance your kingdom? What can I do that maybe I used to do that I quit doing? What new way could I serve your kingdom? Is there something, even at my age, is there something fresh and new that you would call me to? If you call me, you will empower me. And I may feel overwhelmed about it, but but your grace will carry me. It, It will be in the power of your strength and your anointing that I can do this. I just thank you for these precious hearts that are here. Oh Lord, don't don't let the enemy lie to us. Don't let him deceive us. I mean, he's the deceiver. He can make us think that we're doing the most important thing in reality we are not. 
So talk to us, Lord. Pull the scales off of our eyes. Help us to realize how crucial the time is. Help us to hear Paul's words ringing in our ears about making the most of the days because they're evil. I mean, somebody's eternal destiny very well could rest on us having the right priorities. And you didn't call us here tonight to condemn us. You called us because you know really, really in our heart we want to be doing the right thing, but but some of us have been deceived about what that is. So just examine us. Come in your graciousness. And sort it out for us. Because the truth is, every one of us here tonight want to hear from you one of these days. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I mean, Father God, I believe that's the desire of every person's heart in this place tonight. We want to hear you say those words. And I just pray that this week that we'll do the things and and make commitments and make the changes necessary so that we really will hear that. And forgive us where you need to, but, but more than anything else, just empower us, just inspire us, just, just get a hold of us. In a fresh new way. Give, Give us, give us a brand new zeal. For the things of the kingdom. Remind us in a fresh new way. We're creatures headed for an eternal destiny. And that it's just a little while that we're here. But it's in these gracious years that you give us. That we have opportunity. To make investment. (laughs) That will bless us for all eternity. So I thank you for the beautiful spirit here. This, the sensitivity. The yieldedness. And thank you for the blessed ministry of the Holy Spirit. That just walks among us. And encourages and strengthens. And, and sometimes corrects. So that we keep our feet on the straight and narrow. And Lord, you told us that the gate is narrow. And that there are a lot of folk on the Broadway. But, but not many really find the narrow way. Oh Lord, don't let us miss it. 
And don't let us deceive ourselves about what our lives are really doing in the light of all that you've done for us. Gather your people. Draw near to us. Revive us. Help us to plow up the fallow ground. And may the peace of God that passes all understanding just settle down on us and guard our mind and our heart. Help us not to let the world squeeze us into its maw. But that just in a fresh new way tonight, we, we, we would do what Paul said in Romans 12, when pre- pre- present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We ask it for your kingdom's sake and for the advancement of your kingdom and for the joy of our own hearts. What a joy there is, Lord, when we choose to do the right thing. Help us to make that choice. We ask it in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Just pray there. Stay there as long as you want to. Get up when you when you feel. It really doesn't take a long time to just.